0: My name is Seth Dorman and I'm a deacon and part of the leadership team here at Cottonwood. And I'm excited to be with you this morning and sharing the word with you. Is it a little hot, Tyrell, or are we good? We're all right. Okay. Okay, this morning I'm going to be sharing about, we're in a sermon series called My Heart, Christ's Home, as Ben said. And this originally came from a gentleman by the name of Robert Munger and it was a sermon he preached many years ago that turned into a book, And basically what we're doing is we're exploring the idea of what would it look like to make Christ at home in our hearts, and looking at different areas of our life and seeing what would that look like to make Christ at home in that area of our life. And this came, come, comes from a theme verse, which is in Ephesians 3:16 and 17, and it says, I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. So we're looking at that idea. What would it look like to make Christ at home in our hearts? And we're picturing our hearts as a home, or as a house with a lot of different rooms in the house. And looking and going through each room, and each room has a significant part of our life, and looking at the room and saying, what would it look like if we were to make Christ at home in this area of our heart? And originally, Tom talked about the living room. And the living room was our our area of relationship with Jesus, our time spent with Jesus, looking at time in God's Word, looking at time in prayer, and what that would look like to be at home with Jesus there. And Pat, on week two, talked about the study And that was thinking about what are we allowing into our mind? What are we consuming? What are we thinking about? And then uh, last week, Pat talked about the workshop, which was what we're producing with our life, the work that we're doing with our life and with our hands and day-to-day. And is that work, does it have an eternal significance? Are we doing it for Jesus? Or are we doing it for uh, temporary gain for things of this world? And so today, we're going to be talking about the dining room. And so I have to ask the question when we're talking about the dining room to kind of get our juices flowing, plus we've got a smell of a good meal being cooked outside. With the dining room, what is your favorite meal you've ever had? So if you just think for a second, what's your favorite meal you've ever had. Or maybe it's thinking, maybe an easier way to think about it. Is, if you could go anywhere today or in Grand Forks, let's skip today because Chick-fil-A is not open on Sundays. If you could go anywhere in Grand Forks on a different day other than Sunday and you could go eat anywhere, where would you go? Would it be Chick-fil-A? Those juicy chicken sandwiches with the pickles and you dip it in a little of that Chick-fil-A sauce. Really good. Toasted frog, one of my favorites. Those cheesy pickles from the toasted frog and that sauce right out of the fryer, delicious. Red lobster, maybe. I love seafood. Those biscuits that come out. We've tried to duplicate those biscuits at home, and you just they're good, but you just can't duplicate those biscuits. They come around to the table, and they say, oh, would you like some more of those biscuits? We're like, if it's low, just keep bringing out baskets, because we're going to keep eating these biscuits. Really uh, Really good. When I think about my favorite meal, I think to probably about 15 years ago, when Terry and I were just getting away, and it was a surprise, I think it was an anniversary, um, where I said, okay, just pack a bag, we're going somewhere warm, and that's all she knew, and so we got in a car, and we drove to the airport that morning, and jumped in a plane, and we flew to Vegas, and in Vegas, uh, we were going to a show called The Blue Man Group, and it was at a certain hotel there on the strip and we knew nothing about Be- Vegas we had never been there before um, so we said well let's just get to this hotel early and we'll find somewhere to eat at this hotel and so we walked in and it's this huge grand kind of like this you know huge high ceilings grand foyer and up on the second floor there's a couple restaurants so we said well, let's go try one of these restaurants and so we went up there and it was a really quiet time there wasn't very many people there and Got the menus, and it was one of those restaurants where it's plates in the center, and you kind of share food with each other, and so we ordered a couple things, and pretty much for me, when I think of the dining room and what I love to eat, my eyes get drawn to a good steak. So if it's going to be at a nicer restaurant, that's usually where my eyes go is to a good steak, and so I ordered a filet there, and when this filet came out, it was all sliced up in these kind of small, thin slices, and it had this sauce drizzled on it. You'll find out I'm not a chef as I'm explaining this. I won't even try to explain the actual what's in the stuff. But it was just put it in your mouth and it just melted in your mouth. One of those type of steaks that was so good. The sauce on that steak was one of those sauces just unbelievable. Like As the waitress walked away, it was really quiet in the restaurant The waitress walked away and we kind of looked around. This is both Terry and I. We took our fingers. It's one of those where you just kind of, you wipe the plate. You know, your fork can't get all that sauce, but you take your finger and you sweep across the plate and you're doing this and making sure other people aren't looking at you. I would have picked up the plate and just licked it, except for my pride wouldn't let me do it. It was so, so good. And, you know, when we left the restaurant, it was one of those meals, I don't have great self-control so if, if I eat out at a restaurant, a lot of times I don't leave feeling great. Like, oh, that I feel really perfectly satisfied. I actually usually feel bloated and uh, ate too much and say, man, I shouldn't have ate that last uh, part of it. Uh, this one was one of those where you leave and I just felt really satisfied. It wasn't too much food. It was the right amount of food and just felt, felt really, really good. The dining room. So the description of the dining room is... What are we looking looking to in this life to satisfy us? What are our appetites and our desires that we're looking to, to to satisfy us, to make us feel satisfied? Another way to say it would be, what's my purpose in this life and what am I pursuing? What am I pursuing to bring satisfaction? And this can look very, very differently In each one of our lives. Sometimes it can be money. It could be uh, a certain salary we're looking for to satisfy us. It could be a certain stock, how much stocks we have. Maybe it's retirement, thinking about, I don't know if you guys have checked your retirement lately. Don't if you haven't. But maybe it's thinking about if I had a certain amount of retirement there, I'm striving for that because then I can feel safety and security and satisfaction. Maybe it's possessions, which is in that same category of money, if I just had a nicer house, a bigger house, a nicer car, um, things that I'm desiring uh, possession-wise. Maybe it's a position. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's, I say, if I had, if only I was at this level, my boss, I could do that job. If I had that job, I'd be really satisfied. Maybe it's to be popular, to be liked, the desire for other people uh, to look at me and, and think I'm doing a great job. Maybe it's, and this one I can be guilty of, maybe it's living for my own pleasure. Maybe it's looking to what's the next fun thing. Could be vacations, could be events, could be entertainment. Like, what's the next fun thing to bring me satisfaction? John talks about this and gives us a warning about it in 1 John 2.15. So if you have your Bible and you want to pull it out, you're welcome to. If you want to pull your phone out, you can. You also could just follow along. It'll be on the screen behind me as well. This is in 1 John 2, 15 through 17, and I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. John says, do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions, These are not from the Father, but are from the world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. And another translation says, but anyone who does God's will will live forever. John's trying to point out the danger of looking at things of this world, right? Things things that are temporary in this world at satisfying us. Notice how John uses the word love, right? He uses the word love. He's talking about our affections and our heart. What's in our heart and what are we looking towards to satisfy? Don't let the things of this world, he's saying, these temporary things have your heart. Don't let them be our purpose. And why does he say so? Because they're temporary, right? They're not going to truly satisfy and it's all going to pass away. It's all going to be gone. Don't let that be our pursuit. And when I think about this area of the dining room, so I think about our, our purpose and our pursuits in life and making Jesus at home, Okay, being at home with Jesus in this area, I think really the only way to do that is if, if our pursuits and our purpose align with what Jesus's are, right? Our purpose and our pursuits need to align with what is, what is Jesus's will for my life? And I love that, that Jesus answers this question for us of what's most important, and I talk, I talk to our leader, our high school teen ministry, and I talk to them all the time about this because I think it's so easy to just get caught up in, in things in this world and looking for things in this world to satisfy us as you're kind of figuring out what career and how much money you're going to make and what house should I be in and all these other things. It can be a lot of things in this world that we look to to satisfy us. And so I think it's so important that we take what Jesus says and put it at the forefront of what am I striving after in this world? And this is in Mark 12, 28 through 31. And this is in the context of Jesus being asked questions by religious leaders. And as many of you know, when Jesus was asked questions by religious leaders, they weren't trying to really find answers. They were trying to just stump them, trip them up, make them say something that's wrong so they could say, see, this is a false teacher. This isn't the Messiah. And so, this is in that context where religious leaders are asking Jesus questions. So, let's look at this passage. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered, is this Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. So Jesus answers that question. What's most important out of everything? This religious leader says, he has some good answers. I'm going to ask him this deep, meaningful question. Out of everything in this this word out of all the commandments, what's the most important thing? And Jesus sums it up with saying, Love God with all that you are, your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and look outside yourself and love others it can be summed up with these two things. So my question for myself and for each one of us is: Does our purpose and our pursuits align with this great commandment? When I honestly look at my life, and I look at my schedule, and how I'm living life, and what I'm doing, and, and how I'm going through life, what I'm striving for, what I'm looking to, to bring me satisfaction, contentment, does it align with the great commandment of loving God with all that I am? And loving others. And how do I know, how do I evaluate even if it is aligning with that? Right? Because there's a lot of things that we do in life that it's hard to figure, okay, how is this fitting in the scheme of is it loving God and loving others? So how do I look at my life and say, is this, Jesus, is this your will for my life? Or am I on a path that I'm just looking to satisfy my own desires um, outside of your will? For example, is it wrong to have career ambitions, to want a promotion? Is it wrong to want a nicer car that's more reliable? Is it wrong to desire to move to a different location? Um, Is it wrong? I want to tell you a little story that I thought about in my life about this idea of of is this Jesus? Is this your will? And is what I'm doing? part of your will. And I call it the tale of two cars. And I've bought more than two cars in my life, but I thought of these two vehicles that I bought and just how it kind of fits into this. And so the first one starts about 10 years ago or so. Terry and I moved. We wanted to get out of Grand Forks and kind of out into the country. And we found a place in the country about 25 miles or so out of town. I still work here in Grand Forks. So my commute was about 50 miles or so a day. And this was a little over 10 years ago. And believe it or not, 10 years ago, gas was 3.70 when we moved. I know, when I look back, I was thinking, oh, this is the worst it's ever been, gas prices and all the rest. I budgeted for $4 a gallon when we moved out to the country. So gas was really expensive around 2011. And I drove a truck that got about 15 miles to the gallon if you just very slowly accelerated from stop signs and didn't go faster than 55 miles an hour. Then it would get you about 15 miles to the gallon. So driving back and forth was pretty expensive from a gas perspective. So I said, I think it's time to get a different commuter vehicle. And at the time, I had a couple of friends that had kind of junker cars. And I thought, when I looked at them, I thought it was kind of righteous to have a junker vehicle. Like, it looked better, like you're not... not looking, you're showing other people that I don't care about possessions. Sounds kind of twisted, huh? (laughs) You see how my mind works now. Um, I honestly thought, like, it was kind of this self-righteous thing. I'm going to look for a junker vehicle. It'll look better to other people like he's not desiring things of this world. So I found a junker. Um, I found a vehicle in Fargo that was uh, an old Honda Accord. I wanted a good gas mileage vehicle, and this was somewhere, it was somewhere in the 90s, I think, uh, Honda Accord, low miles, and it was cheaper than it should have been. It's a red, red flag, by the way, if you find something cheaper than it should be. And I drove down to Fargo uh, with my family because I thought I'm just going to get this thing and we'll drive back, and looked at this vehicle, and we went right at dark, which that's a great time to go look at a vehicle, go at dark. And put my flashlight, you know, I'm kind of shining it on this Honda Accord, and it's blue, and it's got a bunch of chip paint in the front of it, but I didn't really care about that, and uh, so I looked, I thought it looks okay, and I drove it, and I drove it, I'm like, boy, it's kind of rough, but maybe that's how, you know, 1990-something Honda Accords are, and so I thought, oh, good enough, in my mind the whole time, like, I'm buying this car, like, as soon as I left here, I was buying that car, so I paid the guy, uh, went into his apartment. It was a miracle I came out alive, but I did. Um, paid him cash, had the vehicle, started driving it back to Grand Forks. And on the way back between Fargo and Grand Forks, it just is just just shaking and just rough riding. And the whole time I'm trying to talk myself into that I don't have buyer's remorse. No, I'm sure it'll be a good vehicle. And um, Pat, last week, which if you didn't hear last week's sermon, streaming on YouTube it was really good. Pat last week talked about his headlights, where he refurbished the headlights. They were kind of really, really kind of foggy, and he refurbished them. This car driving down the road, literally, the headlights did this the whole time. So I'm watching the, the road and the ditch, and the lights are going like this. Every car going by me is flashing its brights at me, and I'm like, it's on dims. It's just going like this, and I have no control of it. And So the next morning, I get out, and I go, and I look at this vehicle in the garage with the lights on and stuff, and there's zip ties holding the front end together, and the lights had no, there was nothing screwed into the lights to hold them in place. They were just going like this, uh, that it obviously had front-end damage. And uh, I did not inspect it well at all. Uh, needless to say, that vehicle didn't make it very long in our garage. That um, I got rid of it shortly after, after I kept trying to start it, and it was just completely dead. And if you just hit the engine in random spots, sometimes it would go and sometimes it wouldn't. So, got rid of it. The second car is a car that we were looking same concept want to get back and forth uh to grand forks have good gas mileage this time i wanted something nicer that had ground clearance 30 miles to the gallon and all-wheel drive okay so that was my goal and so i was looking at crvs toyota rav4s kind of vehicles like that uh, for this commute back and forth and Looked around here and it was hard hard to find anything. We were going to on vacation to my brother's place in Arizona and he said, Well just come down here and look. There's vehicles everywhere down in Phoenix area. I said, Okay, we'll we'll do that. And we get down there and he said, You ever thought about it like a, a BMW or a Mercedes? I was like, No, no, I haven't. But tell me more. He said, Well, two-year-old BMWs and Mercedes, they're the same prices as two-year-old RAV4s and And CRVs down here because they depreciate so quickly and he's telling me the reasons why they're, how they are. Okay, so I start looking and I just got consumed by searching out vehicles down there. I was on my iPad in this vacation constantly and looking up vehicles and, and trying to find one of these vehicles. And I just, I fell in love with the idea. Like, this is an amazing deal. How come everybody doesn't do this? I mean, way higher priced vehicle. It's down to the same price now. And so I was, I was looking, and Terry and I are talking. She's like, we're on vacation. Let's try to enjoy our time. I'm like, you don't understand. Like, you can't find these vehicles up north, but there's a ton of them down here. And uh, so I kept looking, kept searching, kept talking to my wife. And finally, she just said, just go buy something so we can enjoy vacation. So I figured, okay, we're on the same page. She must have a piece about this as well. So I did. I went and found a BMW X1, 34 miles to the gallon, all-wheel drive, twin turbo, The RAV4 didn't have that. And anyway, I won't get into the long story of uh, how the vehicle was a lemon, but it was a lemon. And I ended up having to ship it to Minneapolis for work because nobody around here can do maintenance on a BMW with its warranty work. Three times back and forth to Minneapolis in a year and a half and I just said, I'm out. the outcome is not what I want to focus on, on either one of those, those vehicles. The question is, are we in Jesus' will? And are, are my pursuits, what I'm striving after, is this part of God's will? Is this part of Jesus' will for my life? When I look at those two scenarios, they're possession-wise very different, right? One's a junker car, one's a really nice car. When I look about my heart in it, like, what's important in this? It wasn't about the actual car. It was about, was I inviting Jesus to be a part of this pursuit or decision that I was making in my life? And when I look at it, to me, it's really obviously. Now, obviously my heart was in a not good spot with the first vehicle. I was just trying to look better among other people. With the second one, I was so, if, if I would have left Arizona and came back here and hadn't had a vehicle, I would not have been satisfied. I would have been really frustrated, which I think says something about, about that. Like, I was anxious and just constantly wanting this and striving. Like, my heart had gotten into this, um, which also I don't think was part of Jesus' will. Those are vehicles, small things in our life, right? In the big scheme of life, Vehicles, but how about other decisions? How about who I'm going to marry? How about could be a vehicle? Could be should we should we get a different house? Could be should we new move to a new location uh, in the United States? Should we be closer to family? Should we, should I take this different job? Should I? We all have lots and lots of decisions in life. And the question is, is it Jesus' will? Is it Jesus' will for my life? When I was thinking about this idea of a, of a dining room and thinking about picturing a dining room, I want you to just picture. Picture a dining room that you would gather and eat in. Okay, And maybe this is your own dining room. Maybe this is thinking about a family, a grandparent or a parent, um, where you're gathering together with a group of people and eating. When I think about this, I think about my in-law's dining room, which is kind of a big kitchen table. And then uh, there's a countertop area, which has some chairs at the countertop, which maybe has four or five chairs there. And then off to the side, there's a couple of card tables. So if we have a bunch of people getting together with cousins and stuff like that, we have some card tables off to the side. And what I thought about in this analogy of of looking at the dining room in our life, our purpose, and our pursuits, I thought about where is Jesus in this dining room? So when you think about this this gathering, where is Jesus in this dining room? And I think for some of us, it could be he's not there. That we've never really invited Jesus into what is my purpose in life and what am I pursuing in life that Jesus isn't in the dining room. And that would be the first step. For me, I thought about where is he sitting in the dining room? I've invited him into my life, invited him as my Savior. Where is is he seated in the dining room? Is he off to the side? You know, those cu- the card tables on the side? of the, There's a lot of action going on in the main dining room. And oftentimes, maybe kids or smaller kids are kind of sitting off to the side or sitting up at the, the countertop. I think oftentimes, I have Jesus kind of over to the side when it comes to what is my, my pursuits in life. You know, Jesus, please bless, bless this vehicle and help it to last a really long time. Jesus helped my bosses to look at me with favor and give me job promotions. Jesus helped my health to be well and help my kids to be healthy. You know, asking Jesus for things, but kind of off to the side. Or I picture the dining room table itself. And a lot of us will have like a, a matriarch or patriarch of a family, kind of maybe it's a grandparent or a parent or something when you're sitting there. There's kind of the head of the table, right? There's kind of that, that place. Of honor at the dining room table? Is Jesus there? When it comes to our purpose in life and when it comes to what am I pursuing to bring me satisfaction in this life, is Jesus at that head of the table? Is is he in a spot where we're looking to him? Our eyes are focused on him to say, what's your will? Jesus, what what is your will for my life? Because I think that's the spot when our eyes turn off of ourself and focus on Jesus, that's the spot where we can really love God with all that we are and we can look outside of ourselves and our selfish nature of trying to satisfy our, our desires of our flesh to say, how can I love and serve others as well when our eyes are on Jesus? I love the passage in Ephesians 2:10, Paul is uh, writing this letter, and his encouragement is this, which I think can be a huge encouragement for us. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You are God's workmanship. Each one of us, me, each one of you, God created you. He created you with your personality. He created you with your passions. He created you with your strengths. He created you with weaknesses. You are God's workmanship. Created for what? To do good works. And not to just go around and find good works to do, but he has prepared in advance for you to do. God has prepared things in this life and in this world, good works for us to walk in. Yeah, amen. How do we know what they are? How do you know what, what is, what's the good works that God has for you in this life? That's where we need to invite Jesus to lead us, to guide us, and direct us. Because you know what? There's a lot of ways to love other people, right? There's a lot of good works that can be done in this life. And you know what? You can't do them all. We only have so much time. We only have so much energy. We only have so many, so many resources. What's the good works that God has for you to do Maybe it's maybe it's working hard and being at home with your children and pouring into them a biblical worldview. Maybe it's taking in kids that are really struggling and need help. Maybe that's foster care. Maybe that's adoption. Maybe it's rescuing sex trafficking victims, huge need. Maybe it's working with organizations to take care of the poor, to feed the poor, to take care of the homeless. Maybe it's serving somewhere here in church. I look in the back, if you're watching this online right now, John Meisner's back there on video. You wouldn't be watching this right now if he wasn't doing a good work that he has the skills to be able to do. Maybe it's we have, we have teachers downstairs that are working hard with our kids right now, teaching them a biblical worldview. Maybe it's being an encouragement to other believers, opening up your home uh, to a, a home group, Uh, reaching out and encouraging, walking alongside other people. My point with all of that, and that list could go on and on and on, but my point with that is God has created each of us how you are for a reason, to serve him, to have a purpose that is loving him with all of that we are, and loving others. And I think the only way to really walk in that and to walk in his will is to have him at the head of that table, to have him in a spot where we're looking to not just meet all these all of my needs, but looking for him to him to say, Jesus, what would you have for my life? What would your will be in these situations, in these decisions that I have to make? So I'll invite the, the worship team uh, to come on up. And so my my challenge to each of us today is to just think about, think about that and think about our own lives and say, picture that dining room and picture the area of what am I striving after in this life to satisfy and is Jesus at the head of that table? Is Jesus in the spot? Have I invited him to make him, him at home in this area of my life? And what is my purpose and what is my pursuits? And if not, I would encourage you just even as we pray, as we sing this last song, To Just invite Jesus to do that. Say, Jesus, I I give you the head of my table. Help me to look to you. Help me to look to you for, for what my purpose is in this life, for what your will would be in this life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for how much you love each one of us. Thank you that you created each one of us. And not just in this room, in this world God, you created each person uniquely, lovingly. God, you created us with a purpose to love you with all that we are and to love others. Lord, I pray that you would help lead us, that you would help us to look to you as as the, the one to lead and guide and direct, that we would have humble hearts to say, Lord, when it comes to whatever my pursuits are in this life, I submit it to you. That I give these to you. Show me, lead me, guide me. And that you're faithful to do that, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.